morning, Hammock Street Church. Good morning. Uh, let me introduce myself because I still am probably a new face around here. My name is Scott Christensen, and I am the family life pastor at the church here. So I get to work with the guys upstairs, usually on Sundays. And on midweek, we have our, our uh, everywhere from our, our elementary through our high school here, we have a great time. And we're going to have a good time this morning. Amen? All right. So... Uh, obviously, we've got some technical issues going on, but that's all right. Uh, that's when you when you bring Elvis into the house the night before, you know stuff stuff happens. So, uh, but if you are old school like me, I am old school. Sorry, I just I have this the, the leather and paper Bible. You're going to need that this morning. You're going to need to turn to John chapter 11 because that's where we're going to be going. This is a season as we're moving into the celebration of the resurrection in two weeks. We have got our Good Friday service, by the way, going on on April 15th, and uh, we want to encourage you to come and be a part of that, uh, where we talk about the, the power of the cross and what that means to us as disciples of Jesus. And then we move into the, the, the 72 hours later into Sunday morning, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? And that's what we're going to be doing. So you know, 9 o'clock, 10.30, we have two different services. We have Easter egg hunts. We have a lot of stuff going on. But most importantly, we are encouraging you, bring your family and friends. That's kind of the freebie outreach event is Sunday, or it's Easter Sunday, right? You could bring in your family and friends without hardly even having to do the hard sell of an invite because people are coming. So bring them. Let us get to meet them. And uh, it will be a great day. Today, though, we're going to prepare because in this picture of Jesus, this is about the time frame that Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem. The next Sunday, as we know it, traditionally is Palm Sunday. And this is some, this is the Sunday about two weeks out that we don't really connect, but it's so important because it really does give a prelude to what would happen on Easter Sunday and what Jesus would do. And the significance of how Jesus wept. We know that that is one of the smallest verses in the Bible, right? We know that it's kind of this mysterious thing of, we see this emotional side of Jesus that's unique. And sometimes it becomes this this mystery to us. Uh, One of the things, especially in our culture, in modern day culture versus ancient culture, which we'll talk about here in a minute, but modern day culture, we don't do death well. Now, being in the ministry for, you know, 20 something years, I've lost count already. uh, I've I've been a part of the death business, right? I've buried a lot of folks. And it's the one common thing that's unique about that process now, again, Russell may have, Pastor Russell may have a different, uh, a different opinion. Some, some pastors, ministers uh, like to do di- different things. Now, one of the things that I, I'll do them and I'm fine, okay, it's the, the marriage side of things, right? You call it, we call it marrying them and, and then burying them. That's what we do in the ministry. But I'll tell you, I don't get into the marriage side of things. I mean, it's great, holy matrimony, cake, everybody kisses, everybody's happy, and then they go into marriage and they start figuring out that it's not so much of a honeymoon and playing house isn't all that fun sometimes. It's a challenge. It takes a lot of hard work. Amen? Amen, right? Everybody would agree with me. But the death business, I will tell you, funerals for me, I enjoy. 
Alzheimer's comes sick and weird. And what in the world are you talking about, Pastor? Why, why in the world would you like to do? Because it brings out all of the honesty of life, of life in general, the bigger picture. Because when it all boils down, it's that last moment that we have with our family and friends. Now, I will tell you, I had a little business back in, in uh, Seattle. Um, and I called it, it was legacy services. And so the funeral homes in the whole region would call me if the family didn't have a pastor, they would call. So I was kind of like the, the backup quarterback. So the, the, the funeral homes would call, hey, Scott, would you be able to maybe do a service for this family? Sure, you know, I'd go in and I'd do the service. Always very unique. And every, every shade of the rainbow, every background, uh, I, I got to do amazing funerals for people. Um, I got to do a funeral for um, uh, a gentleman who fought in World War II, was a combat pilot, and he grew up in Germany, came to the United States as a kid, and ended up joining the military here where he was fighting against his own family members um, back in, uh, in Germany during World War II. Not only that, is he, he aggravated General Patton and disobeyed orders by General Patton, got into some trouble, but because he knew German, he was this amazing story, it's like a, it's like a Tom Hanks type of movie, story back, background to him. And he ended up uh, smuggling into the United States, Von Braun. Now, if you know who Von Braun was, he was the one who kind of was the, the Nazi uh, rocket scientist who we kind of forced to come and make rockets in the United States, but he literally snuck him in through Canada into the United States. And anyway, met some fascinating families, buried a lot of, fa- I, 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 I was able to bury millionaires and rooms. I mean, we had to have a conference room full of people all the way to the families and the deceased who didn't have any family, but maybe a distant uncle and a distant co- cousin. And there would just be two people standing in front of the grave. We don't do death in our culture very well. That's for sure. We fight against death. We will do everything in our power to absolutely avoid death. I mean, our medicine industry, our our pharmaceutical industry is dedicated to prolonging life as long as possible, right? I mean, we want our family members to live as long as possible. If, if, if we get to have a grandparent that gets to be a centurion, I mean, that's a special thing, isn't it? Anybody have any centurions in their family? Somebody who's lived to 100 years? It's rare, right? We don't see a whole lot of hands. But we will fight, whether, again, it's diseases or it's viruses or it's just old age. We will do everything to prevent death. But the promise is what? What's the promise? It's going to happen. It's gonna happen. The minute that we're born, we come out of the womb, the clock starts ticking. And the angel of death is looming over us. It's true. We don't do death well. And the resurrection of Jesus, you guys, I mean, that's the thing, is that as we prepare for this, it goes up against everything that the math, the science, and the data would tell you. It doesn't make any sense. And we're seeing this picture in John chapter 11 that is different. 
Because the ancient culture actually did death pretty well. Actually, cultures around the world, if you go to Africa, they actually do death pretty well. It's part of their everyday life in those villages. In South America and in Asia, third world countries understand death. It's a part of their culture. In our culture, it's not. We don't accept it. Now, back in 2008, tell this story. Back in France, there's this little town called Sarpuron. I hope I said that right. Sarpuron. <laughs> Sarpuron, France. Now, they had a real estate issue back, in, back then. And I talk about 2008 as if it was like 100 years ago, but 2008, Sarpuron. They ran out of space. They didn't have any more room for housing. They didn't have any more room for commercial industry. They didn't have any more room for industrial. They ran out of space. And the mayor of that city started to get pressure. Now, the one big piece of pressure that he got was that they were starting to run out of space in the cemeteries. They had no more space to bury people. So the, the mayor went to the city council and wanted to purchase a, a small piece of land so that they can extend and have more uh, cemetery space to put their dead. Well, because of some sort of legality, he was unable to do that. The city council said, no, we, we, we can't sell you that land. So he decided, like any great politician would have, I mean, because our, our politicians are so brilliant, aren't they? They're just so fantastic. We just, we just enjoy them so much. And like other politicians, he decided to pass a law, which made it illegal to die. <laughs> that was his solution to the problem. It's just illegal. And if you were to die, you would be fined and penalized. Exactly. The ordinance read like this, in all seriousness, this is a true story. All persons not having a plot in the cemetery and wishing to be buried in, in Sarparong are forbidden from dying in the parish. Offenders will be severely punished. Now it's silly, isn't it? We don't do death well. And in fact, we have this little, we have this say. <laughs> Ministers always have this saying, little funny things. But again, every time my poor family drives past a, a cemetery, they always have to hear their dad say, oh, look, everybody, those people are dying to get in there. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know, that's funny. But again, it's one of those things that it, whether or not we like it, whether or not we hate it, the inevitable is that we will be, we will be having a funeral dedicated to ourselves one day. We will have people that are mourning our loss. It's going to happen. And we have also, we've buried, I, I, at age three years old, my, my, my father passed away. So my family experienced death. I experienced death at a very early age that impacted me. We've had parents, we've had siblings. Maybe some of you have had children, loved ones, coworkers, neighbors, and we've been to those funerals. And after the funeral, what happens? We go and have a potluck. We go to the restaurant. We say a few more nice things. And then we go on to life. The family still grieves. Holidays come and pass and memories. We go through that pain. The reality is that we are dying to get in. And even though that was a silly law in France, right? You can't stop people from dying. We can't stop ourselves from dying. 
Now the process in Israel when you would die is that they would, they would take the body and depending on the situation, if it was a disease situation, they had, uh, in ancient Israel, they had uh, specific laws preventing them from doing things. So sometimes they would just have to dig a hole. If, if, if the body was truly unclean and diseased, they would just dig a hole and put the body in the, the ground and cover it. If you were a criminal or you had no more family, if you were diseased, if you had leprosy, they would literally take the bodies and toss them into garbage dumps. Also called Sheol. I don't know if you've ever heard that, that biblical word before, but it was a pit of burning and they would, they would literally have these piles of burning animals, burning trash, burning human bodies. It was a terrible, terrible place. But if everything went well with your death, if it can, they would then take your body and they would wrap it in linen. And then they would take a a, a mixture of oils and herbs and they would take it and spread it over your body as a way to honor you and to prolong the smell. In John chapter 11, verse 38, if you have got your Bibles, as we kind of see this, this scenario, here's a Lazarus, a loved one. He was a brother. He was a friend. And in chapter 11, verse 38, it says that Jesus came to the tomb and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. So this gives us already the picture that Lazarus probably had some sort of wealth because if you were able to be buried into a cave or into a a tomb that was built inside the hillside, you probably had some sort of wealth. You were able to purchase that that plot and you were able to have something that kind of kept your body somewhat intact. And then once they would take, so here is the other part of that, is that probably about the anniversary of your death, a year after or a couple years after, the family then would come in and they would actually take your bones, they would collect your bones, and they would put it into a box, seal the box, and then place it someplace else in the grave, waiting for the next person to die. And that was just kind of how things went. That's why we're even still able to see that we've got, there's bones that we're able to find in ancient Israel, even today, that we could go back and see who they were. And here's a refresher again of the Lazarus story. It's so important. As we start thinking about the resurrection, Lazarus dies, he's buried, and four days later, Jesus raises him from the dead. This is the synopsis. But there again, there's some oddities that make it a little bit different. Oddity number one is that Jesus could have been there before Lazarus died, but he didn't. And from the way the story plays out, there's no mistaking the fact that Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die. He knew the end game of what was going to happen to Lazarus. And so because of that, the way that Jesus responded when he heard that Lazarus was sick, again, tells us that this was a miracle that was arranged ahead of time. That Jesus was doing something specific. Because we've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. We've seen him uh, walk on water. We've seen some pretty amazing miracles of him healing people that were blind. Healing people that had leprosy. Turning water into wine. Feeding the multitudes with just a few loaves of bread. 
So if you've got your Bibles, let's do this. Let's turn to John chapter 11, verse 1 through 13. If you've got your, uh, I guess you could do it on your phones as well, but I challenge you to do this. And, and I'm very interactive, by the way, all right? So you guys got to read along with me. Open up your Bibles. Here we go. This he said, and after that he said to them, our friend, oh, I'm sorry, let me back up. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now it was Mary who was anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he, watch this, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. You're gonna go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And then he said this, this he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of, this, out of the sleep. Now Jesus waits two days. He waits two more days knowing Lazarus had died before returning to Jerusalem. Now this was his, this was his movement. This was him going into Jerusalem and his his apostles are warning him like, Jesus, it's probably not a good idea. They're still kind of, they're pretty upset with you. They were talking about stoning you last time we went in there. So we, meh. Jesus had another idea. Verse six again says, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days. Jesus could have prevented Lazarus's death. We know that Jesus had the power to just simply say a word and have him healed from afar. And if he had just shown up a few days earlier, Lazarus would not have died. They wouldn't have had to go through the, the grieving process. Everybody would be happy. It just seems like if I was sitting in a church staff meeting, that if we were sitting with Jesus saying, hey, let's figure this out. You're gonna do the next great miracle. You're gonna raise another person from the dead. Great. It's gonna be Lazarus. Great. That's gonna be awesome. Everybody's gonna freak out, Jesus. Great idea. Let's heal him first. And everybody will know that you are awesome. That's how staff meetings, it seems that that would be a good idea. We put it on the whiteboard. Here's a game plan. Okay, he's with the apostles. But Jesus had his own agenda. If he had just shown up a few days earlier, Lazarus would not have died. And that, that's what both Mary and Martha wanted. That's what everybody wanted. It made sense. They both tell him the same thing in verse 21. They both look at Jesus and say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And they're right. I mean, that's absolutely right. Jesus would have been there, wouldn't have died. He could have just like maybe kind of hurried it up a little bit. Come on, Jesus, can, can you just, it'll make things a lot easier. 
They also knew that Jesus had raised at least two other people from the dead. And the moment that they realized that Lazarus was deathly sick, they immediately sent for him because they knew that if Jesus came, Lazarus wouldn't die. But Jesus didn't come and Lazarus died. Now there's a second oddity. The other oddity about the story is how Jesus responds to the funeral. Open up your Bibles again. Let's go to verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, watch, this is important. We know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, simply says, Jesus wept. Let that sink in for a minute. He was moved in the spirit. He was troubled. But why? Did he have doubts in himself? Did he have his own faith issues going on? Was there a crisis happening to the son of God? Did he doubt the power of heaven? The power that Almighty God had poured into his son. We already know that he had the power of raising people from the dead. So what is the problem, Jesus? This shows Jesus' understanding of humanity. This shows Jesus' ability to relate to Mary and Martha and the rest of the Jews' grieving process. You see, he's more than just God. He's more than just all-powerful. But through his incarnation with us in humanity, he understands fully and is troubled in his spirit when he sees us hurting. Isn't that good news? Because sometimes we alienate Jesus, we alienate God from understanding what's really going on in our lives when there are things happening in our world and we say, God, where are you? I mean, shoot, let's just go ahead and have a prayer. Let's have a prayer conference and let's talk about this, God, because we've got some really good ideas of what we think you ought to do. <laughs> Check this out, Jesus, I got a PowerPoint presentation. Here are three steps and a poem to what we think, God, Jesus, you ought to do. And God, through Jesus, has differing ideas. There's times when Jesus won't show up when I want him to. 
There's times that I'll pray and I'll pray. I'll do my quiet time. I'll stay up. I'll wake up at three in the morning and I'll pray, God, Lord, we really, I really need an answer from you. Please, Jesus. We're gonna have family members who are, are wrestling with illnesses. We're gonna have family members who are, are grieving themselves and hurting and we're gonna have to come alongside and we ask, the, the, we ask the question of God, why this? It doesn't make any sense. Where are you? Where are you in Europe right now? Where are you with this, this pandemic where are you, God, when we see politicians getting away with absolute evil? Where are you, God, when the world is coming apart? Do you even care anymore? Do you even care about me? God, I've lost my job. God, my family's sick. My children's sick. You see, God doesn't work on our timetable. Jesus doesn't work on our timetable. And it doesn't mean that he's sitting back there and just giggling saying, let's just see how far we can push him to the edge. Let's just see what they'll do. Because sometimes that's, that's, that's how I feel. Amen? Is anybody else? Am I tracking with anybody else here? Is it just my little stupid world? Right? It's kind of like being sick. Now, I will say, I, I'm, I'm a survivor of COVID, Okay? Me and some of you, okay. Now, one of the things that's, that, that I experienced, and this was over a year ago, well, well over a year ago, it was, it was, it was Thanksgiving week of 2020. Yeah, so I got it on Tuesday. Thanksgiving was obviously Thursday, right? So I couldn't taste or smell anything, and that, that was lame. But part of my condition was the, the fever, right? You had the fever. And man, I hate having fever, and it's the shivering, it's the sweating, and it's the body aches. The body aches, I literally was walking around the house like this because I couldn't sit down anywhere. I couldn't lay down. I was just constantly uncomfortable at all times. And in Puyallup, Washington in November, it's 30 degrees and raining outside. So you can't just go outside and enjoy the sunshine or whatever. No, it is just constant. And as, many, as, as much of the, the, the medication I was taking, as much as the water I was drinking and doing all of the things you're supposed to do, it kind of wasn't doing its thing like I wanted it to do, right? I would rather say, okay, hey, COVID, you have till five o'clock on Thursday before I dive into my turkey dinner and that's the way it's gonna be. It doesn't happen that way. My body was at war with this virus, but again, it's not, my will that will get my body to fight it. And it's the same thing even with God. Even though we're going through the pain, even though we're going through the difficulty, it's not on our timeline. You've heard it said probably that God cares more about your character than he does your comfort. And sometimes we are going through things like Mary and Martha and the rest of the Jews that Jesus is saying, it's going to build your character of what I'm gonna do next. Jesus made a partner in ministry. Lazarus and his sisters, again, may have financially supported Christ's earthly ministry, but for the most part, Lazarus was just simply Jesus' friend. We know that. And from the day Jesus raised him from the dead, Lazarus went from being a friend to becoming a partner in his ministry. 
It was when Jesus came to Lazarus' grave that he declared the most powerful statement in his ministry. And he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? In about a week, Jesus was going to prove that he was the resurrection and life. And about two weeks later, after this very saying that he gave to, the, 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 to Lazarus and his family and the friends that were there, a few days, a few short days, he was gonna be arrested, beaten, tried, crucified, buried. And on the third day, he would raise from the dead. Jesus was using Lazarus' death as a proving ground that Jesus really was the resurrection and the life. Jesus was careful to show that people after four days, four days in the grave. Now again, human bodies probably in that neck of the woods in the Middle East, you give that about four days in the grave and it's gonna start smelling real strong. It's gonna gonna start smelling strong. And they're like, you don't wanna open that grave, Jesus. Everybody back up, everybody back up. This is gonna be ugly. And Jesus says, remove the stone. Oh, but Lord, by this time, there's such a bad odor, odor, for he's been there for four days. And because Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead, therefore many of these, watch what happens here. Because he could have, he very well could have healed him. But Jesus had something else in mind. He could have healed him from afar. Everybody would have been like, man, isn't Jesus just great? But watch, and he gives the reason for his actions in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. Repeat that after me. Put their faith in him. Say it again. Put their faith in him. They had seen what Jesus did. Four days later, the science, the math, and the data did not back up what he did. It was inexplainable. And could you imagine the rest of Lazarus's life? What what the narrative of his life? I bet that guy had a, a really weird, creepy smile on his face all the time. I bet you that guy could not make it. You ever have those friends that just can't make it, you know, five minutes without repeating the same story 20 different times? This was Lazarus. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus shares in our struggles. The story of this for us today in 2022 is that what we're going through in our life, Jesus shares in our struggles. This event would be the beginning of the conspiracy to kill Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 9 and 11 says, The large crowd of Jews then learned that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned, watch this, they planned to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and we're believing in Jesus. You see, this, this carried shockwaves out. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it caused problems. 
the reason to bring about the faith of those he was going to die for. But still, we see the emotional side that Jesus knew the end game, but the emotional side Jesus addressed as well to show his humanity for those who were hurting. Matt, where are you at? Where's Matt? Are you guys ready? You guys can come up here. We're going to wrap up. We're going to sing that song again that we sang earlier. But before we do, I want to tell a story. Because legend says this. There's a legend. There's a story that says, it's called that, the, it's the legend of that Lazarus laughed. And as the story goes, it says that Lazarus post-resurrection, and as an old man, Lazarus told the story and retold the story of his resurrection. And again, in that era, there was a Roman emperor, and they were always a little nutty, right? Kind of like, again, our politicians today. But Caligula, Caligula was very well known for being really nuts. He was really crazy. And he ruled with an iron fist. He relied on executions to keep him in power. He wanted people to be afraid. So he had Lazarus arrested and demanded that he renounced Jesus' name. And as I'm reading the story, I'm like, wow, this is crazy. But Lazarus refused. And in anger, Caligula looked at him and said, if you don't renounce your faith, I'll have you put to death. Well, Lazarus, again, he said nothing. But he started, he started to laugh. Caligula became very angry and shouted, don't you realize I have the power of life and death? I have the power to put you to death. But Lazarus only laughed longer and louder. Then he looked the emperor and finally said this, you can't hold me in fear, Caligula. Death is dead. In other words, I've been there. I've done that. I've already experienced death. I know what it's like on the other side. I've walked into the light. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to come back from the dead. But then I found out that this story was fictitious. It was actually a screenplay that was written by Eugene O'Neill. And it's called, again, the, screen, the, the play was called Lazarus Laughed. And again, I thought, um, when I got, got done reading, I'm like, dude, come on, this was a perfect way to finish a sermon. That you never like want to disappoint the, the preacher as he's wrapping up the sermon. But Eugene, the writer of this, was actually a humanist. He was an atheist. Didn't believe in God. But the truth about the story of Lazarus is even more powerful once you kind of look into it because the writer of the play, he was an unbeliever. But even this atheist was struck by the power of the biblical story of Lazarus. He wrote of his play. Certainly, he writes, he says this, certainly it contains the highest writing I've ever done. Certainly it composes in the theater more than anything else I have done. He also wrote this. He says, certainly, certainly I know of no play like it, Lazarus at all. And I know of no one who can play Lazarus at all. The lead, I mean. Who can we get to laugh as one who would laugh, who was completely lost even from the depths of unconsciousness, all traces of the fear of death. Again, even in this atheist, there was an understanding of the power of the story of Jesus and Lazarus, of being raised from the dead. Even though he rejected Christ, O'Neill understood the central message of his death, that, of the story that death had been defeated. 
And it was an atheist who wrote Lazarus' defiant cry. You cannot hold me in fear. Death is dead. Now the tragedy, the tragedy is Eugene O'Neill died. And according to records in his family, he never accepted Christ. He was almost persuaded, just like that old hymn. You remember that old hymn? Who I got some old school folks here. There's a hymn by B.B. Bliss. Now, B.B. Bliss was a, he's actually a very, uh, very well-known historical Presbyterian songwriter. I've got my old hymnal from the church I grew up with. I kind of, they don't know I took it, but. <clears throat> Songs of the church. A song that he wrote called Almost Persuaded. And the lyrics are, almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, go spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on the alcohol. Almost persuaded, come, come today. Almost persuaded, turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. Oh, wanderer, come. The final verse says this. Almost persuaded, harvest is past almost persuaded doom comes at last that's what I love about these old writers they laid it out doom comes at last almost can't avail almost is but to fail sad sad that bitter wail almost but lost you know we hear the story of Lazarus. We see the story of the power of Jesus raising him from the dead, but I think even tucked in there in the Jesus wept narrative is that Jesus understands the hurt, the pain, the struggles that we in humanity goes with, go with. We, he, he's troubled in the spirit. He understands us. And some of you Again, have experienced that. But some might be here this morning going, it's really close. I kind of, I, I get it. I get it. In fact, I believe it. I, I, I'm into this. I see Jesus. But you know, it's just not my time. I got some stuff I got to clean up. I got to, I got some, I got some old skeletons in my closet. Just can't. And maybe that's you this morning. But again, like the old hymn says, you're almost persuaded. Almost, but not. Almost. Almost. Do you believe it? Could you imagine being in that audience and looking and seeing Lazarus come forth, come out of that tomb, and he comes running out of that grave? Let's stand together. And this morning, we usually just kind of pray, but I want us to sing this song. I want us to think about this song. How does it relate to you? And when he called my name, I ran out of that grave. Oh my goodness. It's beautiful. I love the energy behind it. Jesus is calling your name. You may not be called Lazarus, but he's calling your name. He's saying, Heath, come forth. 
He's saying, Diane, come forth. And either Lazarus, either Heath or Diane are going to stay in that grave or what are they going to do? They're going to come running out of the grave because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he wants you to be a part of that. God, I pray that you bless us this morning. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, I pray that over this congregation, whatever those things are going on in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would grasp hold of, that you would put those things in the grave and raise us back to the newness of life that only you can bring. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your holy and awesome name that we pray. The church said, amen. Let's sing.